the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. So I verbally insult others, lash out at others. I'm, I'm insensitive towards other people's needs. To put others down so that you'll be exalted. If I, want, if I want to make myself look good, I just have to say something to make you look silly and dumb and bad. If everyone else looks bad, then you'll look good. And it's just that easy. If you want to look good, just keep a solid put-down ready, blast someone with it at the right time, and everyone will think you're brilliant. Well, not really. But some people seem to think that's how it works. I once had a boss like that. He looked for any opportunity to make someone else look bad. I don't know how he ever got to be a supervisor, because he sure didn't know how to motivate people. But it often feels like our offices and factories are brutally well-populated with people like that. Some of our churches are, too. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying 2 Timothy, Chapter 3. And our topic is surviving in difficult times. Our program today is the middle part of a three-part sermon, which is the second sermon in the study. As we discussed previously, we are in what the Bible calls the last days and have been in the last days since the church began at Pentecost. Paul cautioned Timothy in the passage we're studying that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. We see this in society at large, and that's no surprise, but we should not see it in the church. However, sometimes we do, don't we? Paul said we need to avoid people like that in our churches. Here's Pastor Steve to help us discover what to look for. I'm going to tell you something that uh, maybe you've never heard of, maybe you've never thought of. There is not, to my knowledge, there is not one verse in the Bible that commands us to love ourselves. Not one verse. Nowhere will you find in the Bible any statement that says love yourself. Now immediately, uh, if you know your Bible, two verses come to mind. Matthew 22, Jesus said you should love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say love yourself. He said love your neighbor. The other verse that would come to your mind most likely is Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Bible doesn't say there love yourself. It says, love your wife as you love yourself. Now, let me explain. 
The Bible merely assumes that we do love ourselves and it calls us to love others with the same kind of affection that we normally reserve for ourselves. The Bible doesn't have to tell us to love ourselves. God understands that we struggle with this. God understands that that's the problem. In other words, the Bible recognizes that we do pay attention to ourselves. We do promote ourselves. That's part of our fallenness. We do love ourselves, and we need to be as preoccupied with promoting the welfare of others as we do with our own welfare. That's what Matthew 22 and Ephesians 5 is saying. As you love yourself, so husbands, love your wives. As you love yourself, love your neighbors. It never commands us to love self. It never tells us to be a people who are consumed with self and pay a lot of attention to self and so forth. Salvation, in fact, is designed to turn us away from self, self self-lovers, into lovers of God who live not to promote ourselves but to him, promote him. Let me show you what I mean. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read it. It says, and he died for all, that is Christ, that they who live should no longer live for themselves. No longer love yourselves. Now, understand, you're not talking about having a healthy view of yourself, but to love and to pamper and to, to really be overly concerned about yourself. But for him who died and rose on their behalf. Salvation by its very design is, is supposed to, the purpose of salvation, at least one purpose, is to change you into a lover of God, to live for him, not to live for yourself. In Philippians chapter 2, the same point is there, and I I don't think I need to turn there, but basically Philippians chapter 2 is saying, have this mind in you. Jesus Christ decame, he emptied himself. Now, this is the way you ought to be, and you ought to esteem others as better than yourselves. The Bible assumes that we do have some esteem of ourselves, and we do take care of ourselves. It's just saying, now you ought to know, you ought to take care of others and look on them and be concerned about their needs. Now, when the church has people who live for themselves, promote their own interests, care only uh, for their needs to be met, it leads to other sinful attitudes. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to go through this list, and we're going to see list of people and problems and the kind of people you should avoid and the attitudes you should avoid so that you're not infected by this disease. He says, for men will be lovers of self. And then he says, lovers of money. Now, this naturally flows out of loving self because we learn at a very early age that if I want something and I want my desires fulfilled, it might cost money. In fact, it usually does cost money. I can get things through money. And so I become a lover of money really because I am a lover of self. That's behind materialism. That's behind covetousness. It's self-gratification. The reason people indulge themselves and become materialists is because they love themselves. That's the reason. Covetousness is simply the outgrowth of a a preoccupation with self. That's why I'm covetous. That's why I, I want to gratify my own needs. That's why I'm a materialist. That's why that would be the case of anybody, because we love ourselves. When you encounter a church that is consumed and concerned about the status, business-wise, of its people, their financial uh, accounts, their prestige, their, their financial status in the community, then you have met a church where self-love dominates. You have met a church where who's who is very important and how much money and do you fit in here and do you wear the, white, the right clothes? That is a church that their main problem is not that they love money. 
Their main problem is that they love themselves. And this, this affects many churches. Uh, this affects many Christians. Uh, morals no longer matter. I don't make a business decision. I don't make a financial decision based on whether it's ethically right, whether it's morally right. No, I make it on whether it can prosper me. In other words, principle is replaced by profit. That's what really counts. That's really the issue. And yet the Bible speaks so very plainly, clearly on this. It says in 1 Timothy 6.10 that the root of, of all evil is what? The love of money. Not money. Money is our moral. Money is, is neither good nor bad. It's our attitude towards it. But when you love it, whether you have it or not, that's another issue. But you don't have to have it to love it. When you love it, the Bible is very clear. It's the root of all kinds of evil. It leads to murder. It leads to robbery. It leads to divorce. It leads to all kinds of things. But beyond that is the love of self. Paul wrote that an elder and a deacon must not love money. They must not be silver lovers. They must not be money lovers. Yet in spite of the clarity of God's word about loving money, one of the heresies that's sweeping across churches today is the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel. I have a, a book in, uh, that I borrowed from a friend dealing with this whole issue and, and the historical background of it. And it is amazing some of the things that are happening in the name of, of the Bible, and yet it's really... Uh, ought to be in the name of, of loving money and materialism and loving self. And the health and wealth gospel assumes that it is your spiritual right to be healthy and wealthy. It, it, it assumes it. It's your spiritual right. Now understand. Understand what is really behind the mentality of, of this view towards wealth. False teachers in the Bible are characterized by greed and love for money. It is, it is not by accident that false teachers are into this prosperity gospel. Let me show you what the Bible has to say. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, 1 Timothy 6, 5, he's speaking about false teachers. He says, in constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of great gain. False teachers are in it for the bucks, not the football team. They are in it for money. They're in it for profit. They're in it for gain. Secondly, he says in Titus 1.11, just the book right after 2 Timothy, Titus 1.11, speaking of once again, he says in verse 10, rebellious men, empty talkers, he's talking about deceivers, false teachers, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach. Why? For the sake of sordid gain. Why do they teach? Because they want money. They're greedy. They want to be prosperous. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 3. And, and he's speaking again about false teachers. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Why do they teach? Why are they in this? Why do they stand up in pulpits? Why do they propagate what they propagate? Because they want money. So understand what's behind the prosperity gospel. Understand what's behind false teachers. Understand what's, what's behind, in many cases, the, the hard appeals for money. I'm not saying everybody who appeals like that. A hard appeal is, uh, is a false teacher. But understand the principle behind this. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14, again, we read, They have eyes of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed. Peter says they are cursed children, belong to the Satan, not God. They have a heart that's trained in greed. They know nothing else. That's what they're trained in. They're not trained in theology. 
true theology. They're trained in greed. And this justifies, the prosperity gospel justifies being a materialist. You don't have to feel guilty about it. I know someone. I know someone who's involved in that. And for years, this person struggled with just walking with the Lord. And when this person heard about this error, this person gravitated to it. Sure, because it justified this person's desire to have money and desire to have things and to really make it in society and not have to feel guilty about it with his attitude. So Paul says men will be lovers of self. They'll also be lovers of money. Next, he says they'll be boastful. Uh, A boaster is a braggart, one who boasts about his own accomplishments. He magnifies himself. He exalts himself in an attempt to impress others. That's the meaning of this word. Why would he do that? So understand a, a, a boastful person uh, doesn't tell you the truth about himself. He exaggerates, and his, de- his design is to impress you. Why? Because he loves himself, and he wants to look good in the eyes of others. So he simply exaggerates. He tries to impress you. Originally, interestingly enough, this Greek word was used of a quack doctor, a doctor who was a quack who went around the country and expounded on the virtues of medicine in which he claimed could cure any and all diseases. And you've seen this in in films. The doctors used to run around in coaches and and travel around and try to sell you this stuff that if you take it, it'll cure all of your problems. That's the original thought here. Uh, from From this, the word has come to mean a boaster in general. He doesn't have to boast about medicine anymore, but it's an empty boast in general, one who claims things that aren't true. In other words, it's pretending to be something that you are not. This is the reason that uh, so many churches today are caught up in worshiping its leaders. You especially find this in people who have major mega ministries on television and radio. These men love it. They, they propagate that type of thing. They're men who boast about their credentials and their accomplishments and what they've done. And I said this to this person and everybody laughs and applauds. And I, I, I like what uh, John MacArthur has said about men like this. He says, they are always the heroes of their own stories. I wish I had said that originally, but, uh, but he said, it's good, it's good. They are consumed with talking about themselves and their churches and audiences just eat it up. And that's where you get Christian celebrities. They want to be celebrities. They want to be famous. They move towards that. They boast, they brag. Why? Because they love themselves. He goes on to say, arrogance is another problem person in the church. They are arrogant. This is a companion to boastful, though it's a little bit different. It means to be proud, to possess an attitude. It's not that he just says it. It's that he is proud on the inside. It's the attitude that goes along with being boastful. And it's the attitude of, uh, of, of just seeing that I'm better than somebody else. I look down upon someone else. In fact, it literally means to show oneself above. I see myself above you. Therefore, if I am above you, you are beneath me. You are beneath my dignity. It carries with it a contempt for everyone except self. Why? Because it loves self. Nobody measures up to me. I'm above you. I look down upon you. And why do I look down upon you? Because if I looked up to you, I would admit that something's deficient in me. And a person who loves self can't do that. If I make you look bad, if I have the attitude that I'm better than you and you're down there and I'm up here, then it makes me feel better about myself. And if I love myself, that's really what life is all about anyway. This is the opposite of humility, servanthood. Love of self leads to a contempt for others because it must look down upon others in its attempt to exalt self. 
It's a very insecure person who does that, but nonetheless, nevertheless, that happens. It promotes an environment in a church in which the only thing that matters is my agenda. That's it. What I want to do. And if you carry and you multiply that in a church, and this never stays stagnant, it multiplies this attitude, then you have a church filled with everybody who wants to do their own thing, and they get in everybody's way, and there's contempt for everyone. And by the way, that is the Corinthian assembly. The Corinthian assembly should never be lifted up as a model church, which many people do. It was the worst of churches, rivaling only the churches of Galatia, who had a... uh, error in doctrine, but theirs was an error not so much in doctrine, but in lifestyle and in attitude. And that's why 1 Corinthians 13, which comes in the middle of the whole discussion of spiritual gifts, and that's where it really came out, their self-centeredness and their arrogance and contempt for others. Paul writes, love does not brag. Love is not arrogance. You see, God's love promotes others. When I love God, then I love others. But self-love promotes me, and it looks down on others in an attempt to make myself look better. Paul goes on, he says that there will be revilers. Revilers. Revilers means to speak evil of others. That's the basic meaning of it. It means to insult others. You see, a boastful, arrogant person has to insult others. Has to, to make himself look good and feel good about himself. So I verbally insult others. Lash out at others. I'm, I'm insensitive towards other people's needs. To put others down so that you'll be exalted. If I, want, if I want to make myself look good, I just have to say something to make you look silly and dumb and bad. If everyone else looks bad, then you'll look good. See, it's as simple as that. You meet a put-down artist that's probably behind it. He loves himself. And so he's trying to make himself look good. They attack others in the church, and that's where it's a great danger. They are malicious because they hate everybody but themselves. They're on a course that that puts everyone else down. And yet the Bible speaks so clearly about words of kindness. We've forgotten that. Words of gentleness, encouragement, building up others. I love Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Paul writes, just precious, He writes, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. You know what unwholesome means? It means rotten, like rotten fruit on a tree. Words that are good for nobody. Words that are not good. They're rotten. They're corrupt. Let no, and and I'll use that word here because that's what it means in the Greek. Let no rotten word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. That means building up according to the need of the moment. You say, well, well, what should I say to somebody? I don't know. Whatever the need of the moment is, say something that builds them up. Moments change and needs change. Whatever ministers to their need, be careful what you say. James speaks about the tongue. Don't put others down to make yourself look good. That's the, that's the standard of our generation, that it may give grace to those who hear. In other words, you don't say something rotten that, that destroys people. You say something pleasant and gentle and edifying that builds them up that gives grace to them, that gives strength to them. You compliment them on things. You don't have to go up to them and tell them that they, uh, you don't like the way they look. Just be quiet about it. So revilers. Then he says that they are disobedient to parents. And now Paul speaks about the youth group of a church. So young people, listen. He says that in the last days, men, Mankind, boys and girls, men and women, but here he's speaking about boys and girls, they will be disobedient to parents, and he's speaking about the church. We know that that's certainly the case in society. That's not even a question about that. 
But he's talking about the church youth groups now. Disobedience. Self-love grips people while they are still young. It doesn't happen when they turn 18. It doesn't happen when they turn 20, 21. The Bible commands children not only to obey, but even beyond obedience is to reverence and honor their parents, whether they are saved parents or lost parents, whether they are moral parents or immoral parents. We are still to respect them and still to honor them. Yet when a child loves himself, everything else doesn't really matter. He loves himself. He's the only one that counts. He doesn't care about his parents. He doesn't care about any authority. He doesn't care about anyone but himself. And that's coming at young people from so many different angles. In fact, sometimes parents unwittingly promote that themselves. If the sun rises and falls on your little child, then everything that that child does uh, in life is centered around them. And the whole family has to cater to the child's needs and and when that child sleeps and when that child gets up and when, everything, then you have promoted that. That's one of the things I so appreciate about the ministry of Gary and Anne Marie Ezzo, that they really stress that the first priority in a husband and wife and family's relationship is the husband and wife. That Adam and Eve were, were fine and sufficient and satisfied with each other before they had children. Had they never had children, they still would have had a wonderful marriage. Of course, we wouldn't be here today talking about this. But they would have had a wonderful marriage. It would have been the only marriage, but a wonderful marriage. So disobedient to parents. And parents, you can't let this happen. You can't let them have their own way. And you can, you can stop it. You don't have to center things around them. Now, we're not saying children aren't important in the family, but they don't have center stage. You can't take a, a, a sinful nature and center everything around it and have that child handle it. They'll want more and more and more. And you have to discipline when there's disobedience. And I'm not talking about just outward disobedience, but passive disobedience, the kind of disobedience that says, I'll do it, but I can't stand it. Attitude disobedience, the kind of disobedience that, uh, that there's just an attitude problem within that child. You must deal with that, and you must be consistent, and you must spank, not be brutal, but spank so as to... Correct. By not spanking a disobedient and disrespectful child, you just feed his attitude of self-love. He knows he can get away with it, and he'll do it. And let me add, it's not just your home that's affected. It's not just your home that's at stake. It's not just your child that's, that's the issue. It's the church that they eventually settle in, because little Junior and his sister grow up. And they settle in a church and they affect everybody else because they want their way and they've never been told, no, you can't get your way all the time. Paul goes on to say they are ungrateful. Another attitude problem. No appreciation for what others have done for you. Maybe he's talking about children now, but perhaps he has moved on to just people in general. They're so self-centered that they refuse to acknowledge that they have been the recipients of anything. Lack of gratitude, ungrateful, unthankful, never having enough to be thankful for. If I, am, if I am ungrateful, it means I'm never satisfied because I want more and I want more and I want more. And you see, if I'm a self-made man, then I'm not thankful to anybody because I made myself. I pull myself up. I'm self-sufficient I'm, and I'm never satisfied. So ungrateful. People in churches like that don't think that they need to say thank you to anybody. And yet they want everybody to say thank you to them. They want everybody to appreciate them, and yet they're not thankful to anybody else. 
One of the things I loved most about the island I used to live on off the coast of Honduras was the attitude of gratitude shown by my believing island friends. They lived in poverty no American would tolerate. And when I asked how they were, most times the answer was, I'm grateful. Wow. We could learn a thing or two from them. I'm glad you could be here today for Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop in sometime if you're in the area on a Sunday. Service times are on the website, lakesidechapel.com, or call the office at 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is listener-supported. We are very thankful for the generous gifts from caring listeners who help us finance the production and airing of these daily radio Bible classes. While we appreciate all you do for Verse by Verse, we hope you will first be generous to your home church. If you'd like to help support Verse by Verse, there's a convenient link on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. If you visit our website, we hope you'll take some time to peruse our extensive collection of previous broadcasts. There are hundreds of them available to stream or download at no charge. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. This passage that we're looking at here in 2 Timothy is uh, quite a rogues list of bad character traits, isn't it? We're not done yet. Paul went on to talk about indecency, lack of love, unwillingness to negotiate, gossip, lack of inhibition, and so on. These dangerous attitudes were a major problem in the first century churches, and they are just as big a danger today. They will bring about the collapse of any church that isn't diligent. Join Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.